Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday the 12th of May. And coming up in today's episode, I've got an excellent outside broadcast, a live book interview with a Small Biz Pod listener. That's coming up very shortly. And I've also got a, a really, really good interview with Dwayne Jackson, who is a young entrepreneur and founder of Cashflow, the accountancy software package, software as a service package. His story is uh, a very interesting one. He's a colourful character with a colourful past. So if you want to hear how a former drug dealer hooked up with a Tory peer, got some funds from the Prince, Prince's Trust and launched a very successful business, stay tuned to hear Dwayne's fascinating story. And in a, a break from tradition, I've got a piece of classic guitar music at the end of the show. So for all of those who moan about electronica, this is your probably annual treat as far as Small Biz Pod's music is concerned. So enjoy it. I'd uh, also like to say a big hello and a big thank you to XLN Telecom, who are kind sponsors of Small Biz Pod. Uh, this month um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them a little later on they do some fantastic deals on business telephone and broadband so uh, a little bit more on that later so first let's go straight into that book review with Mohammed Sidat who has just quit his job and launched his own business and this was uh, yeah a live interview outside in London and yeah, very cool to meet listeners as always. So if you're around, if you want to review a book, if you want to meet up, drop me an email, alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. Right, well, I'm sitting here on a lovely, is it May? No, it's April. 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 It is April. A lovely April day, sunny at the end of April in the middle of Hoxton Square in uh, a very trendy Clerkenwell. And uh, I'm sitting next to a long-standing Small Biz Pod listener who I have met once before. Uh, Mohammed Sidat. Hi, Mohammed. How are you? Fine, thanks. Yourself, uh, uh, Alex. I'm I'm very good. And the reason we 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 chose to sort of sit here, we're going to do the. Mohammed's been promising me a book review, and <laughs> for a gonna, very long time. For a very long time, which is I'm cool about. I don't mind that at all. Um, but uh, so he's going to do the book review here and now, which yeah. I thought was a very cool and nice idea, and a bit of a first for Small Biz Pod, and also the author of the book who I've been promising the book review to for a while. He'll be delighted as well. And he's probably wandering around this part of London. So, uh, Mohammed, where are you going? Uh, I must apologise profusely for submitting this book review so late, but things have been quite hectic with me, just working on my own little startup uh, details to follow at a later stage. Uh, the book I'm reviewing is uh, called Leap, uh, with the byline, Ditch Your Job, Start Your Own Business and Set Yourself Free by Ian Sanders. Uh, first out, I love business books, uh, be it a biography, an autobiography, or a reference book. This is definitely a reference book, and it's a bit hard to get through, not making easy reading. Um, but I generally like a story, and this isn't one. It can, however, be used as an excellent point of reference handbook you continually refer to in your quest to build your startup um, or new small business. It also leans towards being advisory to, in particular, service businesses. Um, and obviously, as the title suggests, it's a guide to working for yourself. It teaches you how to be more of a freelancer than building a business, um, uh, a service business, as I said before, dependent on yourself rather than um, a huge empire at some point in time. I'd like to read part of the pref uh, preface, and this is something that amazes me every day and something that Ian says at the beginning of his book. 
is the world is full of the self-employed. Go into any coffee shop and you'll see people working at their laptops. Traditional business and the concept of a proper job have changed. This is a world of no rules and no walls. A world where employees who go to work from 9 to 5 are crumbling. This is not a nuts and bolts book about business. It's, a bo it's about the approach uh, to the new way of working. There are particular points of the book that appeal to me. A lovely chapter named Starting Up and Finishing Up. It reiterates the point that to be successful you have to be a starter and a finisher. Uh, it reminds me of a, a big Silicon Valley icon, uh, Mr. Jason Calacanis, and he has a, a sign in his office that says, starting is easy and finishing is hard. And, and this is very, very true. And I found that in my own startup um, and, you know, when you're trying to do quite a few things at once. Ideas are a dime a dozen, but in my words and not the authors, they are utterly worthless if not executed exceptionally, a term I've borrowed from a recent podcast interview. <laughs> Another chapter focuses on what you need to start a business. Many entrepreneurs to be focused on the tools rather than the essence. They concentrate on offices and hardware and furniture. All you essentially need in the author's opinion is a laptop, a phone, a bunch of ideas and a decent business card. I'm a firm believer in keeping overheads as low as possible, especially in a startup. Many businesses were born out of, of a coffee shop, Google from a garage. Keeping your burn rate as low as possible is extremely important, especially in the times that we live in. Uh, the book is divided into four parts, the first being attitude and what your attitude needs to be to ensure your business succeeds. Part two is called enterprise and covers getting your business from idea stage to getting it off the ground. The third part is success and gives some important guidelines surrounding life in business and as the title suggests, making a success of it. And the final and one of the most important parts of the book and something that we don't take into consideration uh, a lot of the time is work-life balance. And this is quite important when you start a home-based business or uh, a business on your own and there are no clear lines defining what is work and what is leisure time. This is definitely a book I would recommend to everyone thinking of starting a business and to those who are in the infancy stages of business, a definite 4 out of 5. The ideas are simple, well-defined and easy to digest. Thanks. Great stuff. I'm very impressed. It was worth waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a pleasure, Alex. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for everything. That's okay. Yeah. How is it, do you want to say anything about your business, or uh, is it too early early to mention it yet? Uh, well, um, I'm just going to give a brief outlines uh, about it. Basically, um, I'm I'm doing small business courses and training uh, geared towards a small business and a person person thinking of starting their own business. I think in in the current times, there are a lot of people out there who who it seems more attractive mm -hmm. to start their own business rather than working for a for a for a big corporation or they're out of a job at the moment and. So I'm looking at affordable um, uh, and accessible training. So we do, for example, a, a day course on starting your own small business or a half a day course on marketing for your small business. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, we might, we, we've also developing a personal finance course. Um, so hopefully that would come to market in the next uh, week or two. Um, I'm working very, very hard at the moment to get it out. And uh, details to follow shortly. So you are, as a, as a startup in your own right, offering these courses, you're kind of eating your own dog food, as yeah, they say. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. But it's my passion and I've always loved it. Um, as I was telling Alex before the interview, I've uh, left the formal employment sector. Uh, so I don't answer to a boss anymore, uh, besides my wife. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and I enjoy uh, every minute of it. Okay, great stuff. Thanks, Mohammed. No, it's a pleasure, Alex. Keep up.
So there we are. Another great, another great book review. I really love the book review segments. I'm, I, I really do. Uh, Alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. If you want to review a book, just drop me an email. All you have to do is promise to send me at some point four or five minute audio review. Or, you know, if you live nearby, <laughs> pop along and uh, we'll record something live. But anyway, that is great. Thanks for that, Mohammed. Uh, glad we finally got there and good luck with your venture. Hope it's going well. And in terms of Small Biz Pod, it's going pretty well too. And I'm really delighted to welcome Excellent Telecom as this month's sponsor of Small Biz Pod. Um, XLN have an incredible entrepreneurial story in their own right, founded in 2002 by uh, Christian Nellerman and uh, Anthony Caribbean. Christian went on in 2006 to win the Ernst & Young um, Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Technology and Communication. So uh, they are a startup and an amazing uh, story in their own right. But more importantly, uh, they are uh, focusing on the UK small business market to provide the cheapest business phone lines and call suppliers um, guaranteed for the market, already servicing over 110,000 UK small businesses. They do a broadband service too. So if you want to find out how you can save money and isn't everyone cutting costs and saving money where they can, phones and broadband are a good place to do it. Call XLN Telecom on free phone 0800 98 75 900. That's 0800 98 75 900. Or uh, just head over to smallbizpod.co.uk, click on one of the uh, banner ads there, and you can find out how you can save money on your phone bill. Uh, and saving money, cutting costs, if you've listened to these podcasts regularly enough, you will know that's something you should be doing regularly. And XLN Telecom is going to give you the opportunity to do that. So check them out. And now let's go straight into that interview with Dwayne Jackson. Okay, well, uh, right now, one of the most uh, talked about in the media and, and one of the most controversial young entrepreneurs in the UK, I would say, anyway, is a guy called Dwayne Jackson, who will be familiar to many people uh, because of his uh, accountancy software for, for startups and small business owners uh, called Cashflow, uh, but also for various, uh, some would say clever, some would say... Uh, unfortunate confrontations with the media and with um, with competitors, which has certainly raised the profile of cash flow um, and has created some quite interesting and dynamic uh, David and Goliath-like stories that all good entrepreneurs and startups enjoy. So uh, it's a great pleasure to have uh, Dwayne on the podcast with me today. Hi, Dwayne. How are you doing? Hi, Alex. Not bad, thank you. Of all the people I've interviewed, I mean, I think you have one of the most, uh, as a startup, one of the most colourful kind of backgrounds and journeys, um, quite apart from all the, the kind of publicity and so on that you've been getting of late. You're presumably like a fantastic coder geek guy, yeah? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm very much from the techie side of yeah. things rather than the, the accountant side of things, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, I mean, how, how did you get into programming? And, where, and, and if you weren't into accounting, how did the idea for cash flow kind of come about? Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's two sort of quite different things there. The first one is how I got into programming, which is something I'm not actually often asked. Um, I'm totally self-taught on the programming side of things, so I've not done any sort of formal training. Um, I think I tried doing an evening, college, uh, evening class at college once in C programming, but it bored me silly <laughs> when I was about... 16, I think. Yeah. But the way that came about is um, 
I grew up in children's homes in East London and I was pulled out of school at the age of about 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And staff at the home were basically said, well, you can teach him now. And they were sort of trying to teach me how to tell the time and stuff like that, which I already knew. <laughs> but in, they just sort of put a, a ZX Spectrum in front of me with a book and said, there you go, look after yourself. So sort of a, a very familiar story with a yeah. lot of people is, is that they picked up a ZX Spectrum and were doing 10 print hello, 20 go to 10. Yeah changing colours and whatever else. But yes, exactly the same for me. That's where I learned to program. Uh, kind of a fantastic um, a piece of luck that that particular care worker or, or you know, social worker gave you that, that book on that computer, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I think some people have either got um, a natural talent for programming they pick it up very, very quickly um, or it's something they have to work hard at to learn. And I was very fortunate that I picked up very quickly and, and had some sort of natural talent for programming, I think. Yeah. But yeah, very fortunate that whoever it was at that time um, put that in front of me and, and left me to it for weeks on yeah, end yeah, to, yeah, to do my own yeah, thing with yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you, you discovered this natural talent and a passion for programming. What, what, led you, what, what led you to it becoming kind of a business opportunity for you? When did, when did that sort of transition come about where you kind of thought, well, hang on a minute, I could make a living from doing this? Um. Well, we sort of have to fast forward a number of years. Yeah. So I, I followed the usual path, sort of from care leavers, quite often end up in the next institution, which is Her Majesty's Prisons. Yeah. Um, so I, I found myself coming to an end of a sentence at the age of about 23, I guess. Um, and I'd been doing some programme, been doing a bit of contract work before I got in trouble with the police and before I went away. Uh, and when I got out, I sort of realised I wasn't going to be able to get a job with a, a, a big black hole in my CV. Yeah. So the only option was to go self-employed. Um, so I sort of fell into the run my own business side of thing rather than rather than sitting there and, and deciding, okay, I'm going to start a business. I sort of didn't have much choice. So you see a lot of these people that want to go and start a business but don't because they're comfortable in the yeah. job and getting a decent salary every now and then. And it's easier to stay where they are than to go and do something. Yeah. Whereas with me, I sort of had my hand forced, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a whole load of people who are unemployable, whether they've got a criminal record or not. I mean, Doug Richard, I was talking to the other day, said, you know, one of the main reasons he was an entrepreneur was because nobody else would employ him. Um, well, I'm certainly unemployable <laughs> yeah. now, but for different reasons. Right. <laughs> and when you started, did you, like, program cash flow because you found that, you know, the accountancy side of things was a real bugbear and you thought you could, you could do something would, that fixed a problem for you? Or how did that work? Sure. Yeah, I mean, when, when we started up, it was as a, a web development company. Yeah. Um, I, I keep saying we, it was actually just me at the yeah. time. And, and I'd program um, stuff like cash flow, but much more uh, basic for other people. Yeah. And there was two things that happened at the same time. One was uh, a realisation that I didn't want to be selling my time by the hour forever because there's only so many hours in the day and only so many times you can put your prices yeah. up. And therefore, there's a limit on how much money you can make and, and sort of realise I really want to be selling a product. Yeah. And at the same time, what had been happening in sort of the previous six months up to that point is I'd been looking around for something to use to do our own accounting, realised everything else that was out there on the market at the time mm. was horrible, clunky, made no sense to me whatsoever. And so I'd thrown something together just for my own use um, on some spare web hosting space that I had just to do my own invoices, mark them as paid or unpaid, um, and consecutive numbering. That's all it did. Yeah. And so sort of, uh, whilst I'm sitting there thinking, right, what product shall I create and um, to be able to resell again and again and again yeah. that was under my nose and already had the, the beginnings of it there. yeah 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 
where did the Prince's Trust come in? At what stage? Was that right at the outset, you know, the moment you decided to set up your own business? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right at the very beginning, um, I had um, a baby on the way, um, no job, living in a, a one-bedroom flat to borrow money from friends, uh, friends to pay the rent on that. Um, so, it was, yeah, very early on, I immediately went to the Prince's Trust to get their help in, in getting up and running and getting a business plan together firstly. Um, and then actually getting up and running with the business with some of the, the practical side of things. Yeah, and and how did you, uh, you know, how did that process work in terms of the Prince's Trust? I mean, for others out there that that are maybe in a, a similar situation or a situation, particularly now where getting finance and support is is so hideously difficult, even for businesses we've got you know plenty of cash flow. Um, how how did how did that work? How does that practically work? Well, my understanding of it at the time was that I could go along, say I want to start a business, they'll say well done you, give me a cheque and I can walk away. And that's pretty much what I was expecting. Um, so I've gone along with looking at it now, sort of a half-cut business plan, yeah. um, saying, I want to start a business, can I have a few thousand pounds, please? Um, and, and they sat down and we said, well, yeah, we're happy to help you, but first we've got to see that the business you want to start is viable. Yeah. Um, so they worked with me over a period of about three months um, on my business plan to get it up to a point where they could see, okay, it is a viable business. Um, and I was allocated somebody that worked with me one on one through that, yeah. uh, and we got together at least five or six times yeah. um, through that period to work on that business plan. She's now actually a client of mine yeah. um, through another business that I'm involved in, um, but was, was very very helpful on that. And then it went to what they call the panel at the Prince's Trust, where it's quite intimidating looking back on it. Yeah. Um, you're sitting down in a room with a load of other people that also want. Uh, to get funded from the Prince's yeah. Trust. And you've got a load of uh, sort of wiser, older people that go around from table to table asking you questions about your business plan uh, and uh, just checking that you know what you're talking about really and, and what you're going to do with the business. And they then convene and decide whether you get the money or not and you find out the next day. And thankfully I got it. Yeah, uh, it's... Um I mean, it's a, it's a good, the whole process, I mean, it's quite interesting because it, it does actually obviously give you practi- real practical support. It does. I mean, that's the thing. It, it doesn't end there with the cheque. So yeah. I found out the next day that I'd got the money. Yeah. Um, but before I, I'd actually get the cheque off, I might have gone to attend a one-day training course um, on the basics of running a business. Um, and then you get assigned a mentor as well. So for a period of about two years, I think, you get a lot of help and guidance from the Princess yeah. Trust in building and growing that business. Which must have been, I guess, really, really, really uh, important to you at the time. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, even when I decided to start, sort of change tack and start cash flow rather than the, the web development I was doing, yeah. um, we managed to uh, get a 25k loan from the bank under the Small Firms Loan Guarantee Scheme. And we were about to borrow the whole lot uh, on PR, something you'd seen that I'm already quite keen <laughs> on at the moment that worked for us. So I was, I was showing that even early on. But very quickly, my Prince of Trust mentor said, look, this doesn't feel right to me. I don't know much about PR, but I don't think you should be blowing a lot of money this early on. Yeah. Let me talk to the trust and see who we can get you to sit with. Um, and this was a few years ago when Symantec were in the process of buying Veritas. Yeah. And someone from the board at Veritas was involved with the Prince's Trust um, Technology Leadership Group. And somehow it ended up I was invited to come and sit with the board of Veritas, who took, walked us through our marketing plans, pointed out where we were going wrong, wow. and gave us lots and lots of... And they spent about four hours with me and my then business partner going over our marketing plans for cash flow. And this is why they're in the middle of a, a $16.5 billion merger. They were probably eyeing you up as um, a future what, acquisition target, don't you reckon? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it was purely altruistic yeah. from their point of view. And also it gave them a break 
from sort of the world of big big corporate yeah. business that they're involved in to sort of take a step back and see some of the grassroots stuff again is probably quite refreshing for them. You get to the point where you've 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 kind of you, you've decided to do cash flow, um, and I, when was it? What to what year was this? When we're roughly were we talk, timing? Are we talking here? Um, roughly, I think we're talking early two thousand and four, late two thousand and three. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I know that you you frequented the very well known uh, UK uh, business forums, UK business forums, uh, at roughly the same time as I did um, for a long mm-hmm. while. Um, so kind of I've been I've been aware of of kind of cash flows at your and cash flows journey for 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 quite a long while. Um, yeah, I mean the idea was I mean that was one of the first places I went to when we come up with the idea and had something very basic. Yeah. I've done a search for business forums, found UKBS. Yeah. And I think I dug out my uh, first post uh, recently because I talked to somebody about yeah. it. And it was basically spamming the forum, <laughs> trying to get people from there to come over, like everyone else seems to do these days. I mean, now I go and delete the spam. Yeah. Whereas back then I was sort of trying it on. But something <laughs> made me stick around. I think there's, there's quite an engaging community there, there is, yeah. uh, then. And there still yeah. is. And that's what made me stay around back then. And, and you can actually trace the, the growth of cash flow from being something very basic then to all the new things we're adding and all the PR that's gone on since, and all the various other things like Lord Jung's involvement. Yeah. I mean, that's all traceable through my posts on UKBS. Absolutely. There's a kind of a, a, historical, a historical record of, uh, of the whole process, which is which Yeah, is and it's cool. one of the few businesses that sort of was conceived and, and has grown up on, on the business forum. Right, there's two things I want to I move on to. Um, one is PR, which we'll come on to in a minute. But first mm-hmm. of all, um, you get to a certain, a certain stage, and then you get Lord Young, younger, younger, no, Lord yeah. Younger. Lord, Lord Young. Young, not Lord Younger, yeah. No, just Lord. Young. So Lord yeah. Young on the board of Cashflow. Now, Lord mm-hmm. Young, if I'm thinking of the right guy, is kind of, um, he's kind of like a, a sort of Tory grandee, isn't he? From the Thatcher era. Is yep, that the guy? That's the one. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, he was in Thatcher's uh, yeah. cabinet. He was Secretary of State for Trade and Industry. Absolutely. So, how on earth do you link up with him? I mean, that's just, yep. I mean, it just doesn't, yep. it just that's doesn't a, a kind of. a very good question. I mean, how on earth yeah. does that happen? Again, I, I think I've just been incredibly lucky being in the in the right place at the right time and, and the right people uh, being there for me, if you yeah. like. And what happened was um, I had a, a newborn baby at home. It wasn't practical to, to work from there. I was trying to grow the business and needed office space. Yeah. The Prince's Trust put me in touch with another charity called the London Youth Support Trust that provided um, incubator units, essentially, yeah. subsidised subsidized office space. Um, in fact, how it came about is uh, London Youth Support Trust were opening a centre in Hackney and needed someone to do the network cabling. Mm-hmm. And they went to the Prince's Trust and said, can you recommend anyone? And the Prince's Trust, for some reason, put my name forward for that. Um, mm-hmm. It was an opportunity to make money, so I went in quite for the job and subcontracted yeah. it and made some money. Mm-hmm. But while I was there, I sort of found out what they did and subsidised office space and said, well, actually, I'm, I'm looking for office space. Yeah. So I got a unit there before it was officially opened, um, the business grew, we moved on to plush offices at London Bridge. But what happened was they then had the official, official opening of the Hackney unit where Alan Sugar comes and whipped the tea towel off the plane. <laughs> yeah. Done the grand opening and the speech in front of the cameras from BBC News. And Lord Jung was the chairman of the London Youth Support Trust oh, at the okay. time. So he was going to do a brief interview with me about my experience and how I benefited from yeah. it. But we had a quick chat beforehand, sort of behind closed doors, to talk, talking through what it is we do. Um, so that he could ask all the right questions. And as he left the room, he sort of said in a very offhand manner, um, if you ever need investment in this, let me know. I'm interested. I thought, okay. Huh. Um, sort of didn't know how genuine that was because I'd not met the guy before. Yeah. But towards the end of the day, sort of 
come over and I was deep in conversation with somebody at these events as, as you can be. And he sort of interrupted, thrust his business card in my hand and said, look, I meant what I said earlier, get in touch if you need any investment. Ah. Uh, three months later, um, we were pretty much on our knees and, and, and needed the money um, quite badly at that time. Yeah. Um, I had a business partner that made quite a few mistakes financially. Yeah. And we were very close to losing the entire business. But yeah, he came in and, and rescued it financially as well as with his uh, mentor. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, again, I mean, the whole, this is why I particularly like your story, Dwayne, because it is the whole, the whole thing is kind of the truth is stranger than fiction in many respects. But, yeah. But it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a good mean, story. It is, it is the usual question when people see that he's um, my chairman, uh, mentor, and investor. People always say, well, how the hell did <laughs> yeah, that come absolutely. about? Yeah. Um, so, but let's move on. When I was first on the UK business forums, I had just quit my job. Um, and my, my background, as, as you may know, and as others certainly do, um, originally was in corporate communications and PR. Now, in my, in, when I was working for a big FTSE 100 bank, the rule was never slag off your competitors. Ever, ever, ever slag off your competitors. But if you're a startup, things are, I guess, a little bit different. What's your view about how you've handled your relationship with Sage? Um, I don't see it as us attacking them. I, I've always said that I'm enthusiastically defending myself. Um, so if you go back, and where this all started was on our, on our blog, if you like, with their Sage Live product, which was a, their attempt at software as a service. Um, I happened to see that before anybody else in the industry did and before Sage themselves announced it. So I blogged about that um, at blog.cashflow.com. Um, and what happened between me announcing that was we got a, um, a letter from their lawyers, uh, which again was documented on the blog, um, saying basically threatening us with all sorts of stuff if we didn't change stuff on our website and being very, very heavy-handed with us and throwing their weight around. So when I did spot a number of very serious security flaws in what they were doing, rather than going to them, which is what normally I would have done, um, because they'd already been throwing their weight around, I went public with it, um, which I, I don't regret doing at all, really, for a number of reasons. One um, is I think it was the right thing to do because they were bullying us. It was uh, a good way to get my own back on them, if you like. Mm -hmm. But also the increased profile we got off the back of that, because even um, today, if you type Sage Live into Google, um, we come up number one for it. And for all of the news stories uh, that were about at the time, um, mentioned Sage Live, we'd get mentioned next to it. Yeah. So it, it was, I couldn't decide... And I spent at least 15 minutes deciding, should I blog about it or should I keep quiet about it? And there's a thread on UKBF where I was very blatant about my reasons for blogging about yeah. it. And that is that as soon as Sage Live is mentioned, Cashflow are mentioned next to it. I mean, the product was going to get out there. Sage are an amazing marketing machine. Mm. Um, so they would get the name out there. So if I could beat them to it and get um, their product mentioned alongside ours, then great, because theirs was going to get mentioned anyway. It's just a matter of whether they controlled it or we controlled it. But you've been quite canny about PR all along, and I know you've, you've hired some good people along the way. What would be your, your <laughs> advice as a startup about how to handle the media and how to position yourself as a business effectively? Um, you've hit now on the head part of it there is, is to hire good people. Yeah. Um, so we've worked with some great, great people along the way, especially in the early days, um, Andy Barr at Tenyetis is quite well yeah. known on UK business forums. It's been great in terms of the advice he's given, given me um, and helping us build our initial foundation, if you like, um, has been very, very useful. In terms of dealing with the media going forward from there, um, 
some people disagree, but I think honesty helps. I mean, this the thing with this, the sage stuff is you can trace back through to UK business forums um, exactly what my thought processes were with why we were doing that stuff. Yeah. So I've not been sort of disingenuous or misled anyone at any point. I've always been honest, and I think the the journalists and so on that you do with respect that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess uh, some people would say, you know, that that, that is true, but you kind of uh, live by the sword, die by the sword, and if you put your head above the parapet yeah. in a controversial way too often, sooner or later there's going to be a, a journalist who thinks, well, hang on a minute, this guy's getting a bit mouthy, let's take him well, down a notch already, or two. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we've had that already. I mean, uh, my... I mentioned already that I was in prison. If you spoke to me three months ago, I wouldn't have brought that up. It's not something um, that I want to use as sort of any sort of leverage. But because we're sticking our head above the parapet once too often, um, all of a sudden in the, the diary in the Times, in the, the city diary sort of gossip column, if you like, yeah. is um, all these mentions of my nefarious um, past. I mean, it was three days after I wrote a blog article about uh, the Prince's Trust and the help they'd given me, and I alluded to it, but didn't explicitly say that I'd been in prison. Yeah. And then within three days, that's all in the national press. And um, I suspect that is sort of a, a putting your head above the parapet and people think you're getting too big for your boots yeah. uh, and, and, and want to strike you down for it. But being an entrepreneur, um, what exactly risk is that? <laughs> Absolutely. So I can understand from, <laughs> from, from the corporate culture, yeah, you wouldn't do that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but yeah. if we had virtually zero profile to start with what have you got to lose yeah. do you regret it though I mean, that, that is the great thing about being the asset the the, the small business or the tiny yeah. business is you've got very little to lose in terms of uh, public profile i mean we're getting random mentions in the telegraph and again mentioned in the telegraph again today um and this is all really because we've built this profile off the back of the sage stuff yeah yeah so even if, um, as from tomorrow, nobody wanted to write about us ever again because our oh, things getting too big from groups, well, we've done well over the last few months, the publicity we've got, and more importantly, that's reflected in our user numbers and our profits. Yeah, I mean, I guess, really I guess you know, the, 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 some people would say, you know, better that people write about your product than about you or, or, or you and your competitor. Yeah, ideally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Ideally, I'd wish to write about how great the product is and, and, and the things that our customers say about that. But um, unfortunately, I am going to get the XCOM tag for, for quite a, a while, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's leave PR for a minute and let's talk, because I think there's, there's something fascinating here as well, in that you kind of stumbled very early on on a whole kind of new genre of uh, delivering software, which has which which mm. become known as software as a service which for people who, who don't know the term means basically um, rather than buying some software that you stick on your computer, uh, you kind of use software that's on a server somewhere else. So you can, as long as you've got a web browser, you can have access to it. So that, that's roughly it, isn't it? Yeah, essentially that's how it yeah. works. Yep. Now, was Cashflow software as a service from the beginning or, or how, did that, how did that happen? It was, yeah, but not, not intentionally. Again, I sort of fallen and landed on my yeah. feet really i've been incredibly lucky because I, I just happened the way i program is i programmed for the web that was what i yeah. knew so when i put something together um for doing our own invoices it made sense i quickly throw something together that's web-based because that, that was the quickest way for me to do it because it's um a nice easy way to write something so when we then developed that it made sense to well let's stick with being on the web because it's nice and easy to manage um 
early on there were other Princess Trust supported businesses that also were struggling with um, the other mainstream products that were out there that said, well, I like your software, can I have a copy? Yeah. So we'd copy that to another folder on the web server for them. And then when I'd upgrade or fix a bug on my vision, I had to do it for everyone else's. So I quickly realized that from a selfish perspective, it makes a lot of sense to have one copy yeah. of the software that you enable for multiple people to use. So it wasn't any great plan that software as a service is the future and it's going to really take off in the next few years. It was just, well, that's the logical yeah. way to do it at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Was it hard to get people? Because there's, you know people argue about it today. I mean, even you know the big the big vendors and uh, and even though you know the cloud and cloud computing and software as services kind of uh, has been a big buzz for the last uh, couple of years. Um, still, in the small business sector, which is primarily your uh, kind of target customer base, um, there's still a, isn't it hard to get people to put their accounts, you know virtually on a you know on somebody else's server yeah I mean, yeah there, there is an element of that i mean if you looked at two three years ago uh, we would get every single day someone would say put my account and data in, in on the internet you must be mad yeah. um and then perhaps 18 months ago we'd hear it once a month maybe a couple of times a month yeah. now we hear it once every few months so it's getting more and more accepted but what we're realizing or what we've realized over time is that it is an emotional reaction so there's no question that your data being on our servers with tens of thousands of pounds being spent on security is a hell of a lot more secure than being on your computer under your desk <laughs> in terms of data security and in terms of physical security. Yeah. You can't be the security that both ourselves and the other SaaS players have got in yeah. place. But there is this emotional thing that my data is out there somewhere in the cloud. Yeah. So being a programmer, I would try and argue with them with logic and say, yeah, but look at our firewall, look at the fact I've got to have my palm scanned before I can even see my server. You can't change people's minds on that, I don't think. Yeah, so there's always going to be be that hardcore who kind of resist, but... um... Yeah, but it's shrinking. Mm. I mean, as I was saying, we were hearing it every day a few years ago, and now we we, we hear it once every couple of months, if that. So um, in terms of the kind of your actual, your kind of business, in terms of marketing, obviously marketing was largely done, I guess, through, through PR. What other marketing strategies did you use to get the, get the word out there, to get people to try the product? Um, the big thing for us was giving it away for free for 60 days um, as opposed to seven days or 30 days. Um, with 60 days, you've got enough time to really, really try it out and really make use of all of its features. Yeah. Um, and that has been really important to us, the fact that we can give it away for free for people to try. That's been a big part of, of the, the strategy for making sure people use yeah. it. Um, if you look at our website, even today, we don't stress the fact that it is web-based software. Um, we quite often get people that register to use it and then say, well, hang on, where do I download <laughs> it from? Yeah. Um, because people aren't buying our software because it's web-based. They're buying it because it's easy to use. Yeah. So, so we don't make a big song and dance about the fact it's web-based because people don't care about the the technology or, or or the plumbing that's behind it what they care about is what it's going to do for them so we've always sold it on easy to use rather than isn't this newfangled technology wonderful yeah, yeah. Well, i mean i guess there's one thing one issue about software as a service that kind of does occasionally attract criticism and concern from people and that is like uh the kind of lock-in thing I mean, if so, if I've got my, if I'm doing my accounts with with cash flow, and then I think, well, hang on, I, I liked it, but it's maybe I need something a bit more advanced now. Um, how do I get my data out? Now, that's one of the, the issues that quite a number of people have 
criticised various yeah, SaaS and that's players. something that's easily addressed. I mean, we love questions like that that we can deal, we can answer by putting technology in yeah. place. So with our software, you can export all of your data at any time um, in a format that is compatible with Sage software. Yeah. Um, you can even set the software to automatically email you a backup of all your data in that format once a week if you want. Yeah. So we're quite happy for um, people to be asking that question because we can answer it. But what you find with software as a service is people don't leave that often because we have to give amazingly good service. Everyone in software as a service yeah. does. Um, if you look at another, uh, a typical software company where you go along, you pay 300 quid for your software, they've got your money. They don't have to provide good service. They can try and upsell your support and whatever else. Whereas when you've come along and you've used cash flow for a month and given me 15 quid, I've not really made much money out of you. For me to make money out of you, I need to keep you happy and keep your business for a number of years. And the only way we're going to do that is by giving amazing service. Yeah. That's why you always hear people talking about not only how great cash flow support is, but everyone else that's doing software as a service have got great reputations for giving good support. And that's because they have to. Mm we've got to keep the customers to make the so money. So it's the fundamental. I mean, and, and ironically, you know, the, the, the keeping customers happy is a fundamental essence of every business, isn't it? So, you know, to that extent... Yeah, but even more so know, with software well, yeah. as a service. It's no, right no, at the center of the business it, model. If we don't keep customers yeah, happy, they yeah. leave and we're, we're losing yeah, no, money. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, where, where, where does it go from here, though? In terms of the UK and paying customers, um, I'm happy to sit here and say that we're the biggest. Yeah. Um, because I've said that, and nobody else has turned around and said, actually, you're not, here's our numbers. In terms of software when as a service, say, yeah, for accountancy packages? In terms of people, yeah, in yeah. terms of soft, accountancy software as a service, um, I think that we're the biggest in the UK. Yeah. I've published our numbers and said specifically these are A, in the UK, and B, paying, not free customers. Yeah. And it's around 3,000, no is that right? Is it, is it around 3,000? Yeah, yeah, we're around yeah, that number yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. So... Uh, you know, which is a good, which is a good, uh, and I've seen you you blog about the kind of the the, the kind of business model of SaaS from a uh, from from, mm-hmm. from that perspective, um, and, and it's a it's it's a very good business model, and it works, and you've got cash flow, yeah. and it's uh, which is cool, seeing as you've named the product that, and it works, so that's good. In the longer mm-hmm. term, though, once you've got, I mean, QuickBooks, I for example, um, I know uh, is predominantly focused in Canada and the US. It's it's software as a service option. Um, and obviously Sage, is, as we know, is working on stuff and other big competitors will be doing yeah. the same. Uh, when a big competitor with, as you've already pointed out, with kind of massive marketing uh, power comes into the market, as they will do, and, and with, you know, hundreds of developers behind it, um, how, what, how, how do you guys then compete? Um, well, that's when it's going to start to get really interesting. Cause, I mean, I say we've got the biggest slice of the pie in the UK, but that pie is absolutely tiny yeah. in terms of the size of the UK market as yeah. a whole. There are less, far less than 10,000 businesses in the UK that are paying for web-based accounting software. Yeah. Whereas if you look at Sage and QuickBooks, they've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of customers yeah. between them that are paying for traditional software. Yeah. So when one of these guys do step into the market, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I've not got any long-term strategy. I never have had with cash flow. I've always sort of played it by ear, and, and so far it's worked. So as and when that happens, yeah. um, we'll see what happens. You can ask me then <laughs> what my strategy will be for the next month, Absolutely. and I'll probably know, but longer term, I'm not sure. Uh, let's say they, let's say everyone buries the hatchet and Sage comes to you and says, look, Dwayne, you've got some fantastic software there. We think with our marketing clout, it'll, it, you, we could sell you know, 800,000 copies of this. How much? Are you happy? Would you sell? Oh, everything's got a price. I mean, we've had offers 
in the past has run run into the millions, and obviously there is going to be a tipping point when someone says, "Okay, how about this number?" Yeah. And it's going to be very hard to say no. But at the moment, I'm not really. I make enough money personally from the company to be comfortable. Uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. It's growing incredibly fast. So I think to sell at this stage would be sort of very short-sighted. Yeah. You know, what are the things that you've learned along, along the way? Because, I mean, you were kind of a business, like everybody, really, a business novice. Nobody knows anything about business until they actually start. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I still am, really. What, what have you learned? What have you learned along the way that would be that? Never, ever, ever go 50-50 with anyone, okay. ever. <laughs> it doesn't, you've got to have somebody um, that is the boss. Yeah. Uh, and this is where it nearly went all horribly wrong early on. Yeah. It was myself and my, business, my then business partner were 50-50. So if we didn't agree on something, there was no one to say, well, my vote sort of out, outweighs yours, therefore we're doing this. Yeah. Um, and the same when, when it all started falling down around us, he could very easily say, well, I'm sitting at my 50%, yeah. uh, leaving you with 50%, it's actually what you do with it. Thankfully, he was very gentlemanly and signed all the shares over to yeah. me. Um, but yeah, a 50-50 situation is not a nice place to be. Okay, well, that's good, actually. Um, good, actually. Pretty good practical advice. There's the other, there's the kind of Russian roulette clause for those 50 50 things as well, isn't there? Where... Yeah, I've only read about yeah. that. I've only read about that since. It was in Felix Dennis's yeah, uh, exactly. book, yeah. um, How to Get Rich, yeah. which is a brilliant read. It is, yeah, yeah and, and I saw that, that um, sort of Mexican shootout clause in there, which I wish we yeah. had. would have been interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, uh, Dwayne Jackson, it's a, a fascinating story uh, and uh, one that's going to continue to run and run, I guess. So thanks for spending the time. Thank you. So there we are. I think uh, there's quite a lot in that interview worth listening to again. And uh, thanks to Dwayne. I certainly wish him all the best for his and Cashflow's future. Now, uh, since we're quite well into the show, let's get straight down to music. And as I promised, it's a, piece of, it's a guitar track for a change. And this is a track thanks to uh, Iota Promonet. And it is called Young Adult Friction by uh, a US band that is I love, actually. Very cool. Uh, they're called The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. <laughs> 